open our Bibles to the book of Romans, chapter 12. Sunday morning, studying the book of Romans together. If you're with us this morning and you don't have a Bible, just wave to one of the guys coming up the aisles right now. They'll put a Bible in your hand, and it'll be marked to the passage we're studying today for your convenience. If you don't own a Bible, please make that Bible a gift uh, from us to you today. We pick things up in verse uh, 9, and uh, we will just uh, study the first uh, exhortation of Paul here, but I want to read down through the several, several verses that con uh, constitute the, um, the entire section of what, uh, of what he's talking about here. So in verse 9, Paul writes by the Spirit, he said, let love be without hypocrisy, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set uh, your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Let's pray together now. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for your Holy Spirit, who is so eager to take it uh, off of the page and into our ears and our hearts and our minds and to uh, give it a living, working, daily place within our lives. And, Lord, we recognize that there's a Pharisee in each and every one of us who will just relegate your word to our thinking and our, our knowing, Lord, and to fail to have it impact our lives. We don't want to be on that path at all. And so we pray, Lord, that you would speak to us in that private way and in that personal way you do this morning through your Spirit in this section of this passage that we'll study today. We pray for uh, a beautiful time with you now as we continue our worship and the study of your word. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. We remember that in studying chapters 12 through 16 of the book of Romans that we're studying as Paul uh, put it in verse 1 of chapter 12, we're studying what is uh, the reasonable worship or the reasonable uh, response as a Christian to God for all that He has done in saving us, uh, for the gospel, for the salvation that He's provided to us, as Paul has detailed in the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans. And Paul began this description of the response uh, that is a worthy response to what God has first done for us. He began exactly where we might have guessed that He would have begun, as He declared in verse 1, that it begins by uh, giving our lives to God and laying them down before Him as a living sacrifice, our lives being offered to God in worship once and for all, and, and uh, dedicating our lives to Him that He might be able to use our lives however it is that He sees fit uh, to use them for His purposes. But then I think the question arises, if you're anything like me, and uh, the question that arises is, okay, well, on a practical level, 
I mean, it's one thing to talk about a living sacrifice and to kind of take pot shots at what that might actually look like. But on a practical level, is there some way that we can know absolutely what a living sacrifice uh, looks like? Or are we kind of left in the dark uh, on it? Or are we supposed to just kind of guess and formulate that uh, on our own? And of course, the answer to that is absolutely not. Because in the rest of the remainder of the book of Romans, chapter 12, till very nearly the end, where Paul then begins to give kind of his personal comments to close uh, the book. But in large part, the remainder of the book of Romans is, is simply a description of what a living sacrifice is to look like. And Paul's answer concerning what a living sacrifice looks like thus far, as we've already seen, is that it means, verse 2, refusing to be conformed, to be fashioned by the world. Uh, it means, again in verse 2, being transformed by the renewing of our minds. It means having a, as we saw last week in verses 3 through 8, having a very, very deep concern for the church and for the local church, for its edification, for its strengthening, and, and then manifesting that concern for the local church by uh, using our spiritual gift in some area of spiritual service uh, within, uh, within it. And then in verses 9 through 16, Paul now describes how a living sacrifice is going to behave himself or herself in relationship to other Christians. And he describes what a living sacrifice is in terms of our relationship with one another as Christians in a series of about 19 very, very simple exhortations that, uh, that he, he lays out, and very, very practical, immensely practical exhortations. And for me, these exhortations, these commandments that he gives, is, is we'll look at them in the coming uh, two or three weeks, I mean, they're deeply searching. They're very, very challenging uh, to me at any rate. But one of the things that I, I love the exhortive text within the Bible. Uh, I've I got a, such a knucklehead who lives inside of me called the old man. And, and I really need a constant examination from the Scriptures uh, to... Uh, keep before me what this Christian life is really supposed to be. Otherwise, my natural tendency will be, and I don't think I'm alone at all in this, and that is to drift into kind of a carnal, lukewarm Christianity, or that I will self-define my Christianity and obey the commandments that are easy for me to obey and disregards the ones that, I, I, that are hard for me to obey, and all the while convince myself that I'm living a full uh, Christian life that is acceptable to God. And so I need these exhortations in order to keep me kind of on the straight and narrow, keep me in the middle of what the Christian life really is, despite what the world thinks of it today or even how Christians define it uh, uh, today, uh, so that I don't waste my whole life and my Christian life uh, falling under that kind of spell that I can put upon myself. Paul begins with the exhortation, in this series of exhortations, with the exhortation, let love be without hypocrisy there in verse 9. So that's Paul telling us that very simply that we are to love one another as Christians. He's talking about Christians in large part in our personal relationship uh, with one another, but certainly as those personal relationships are, are part of a, a local church as, as well. 
The word that Paul uses for love in the original language of the New Testament letters, which is the Greek, is an interesting one. When he calls on us to love one another, he uses the Greek word agape. And all of this is fairly familiar to a large part of us uh, in this room, but it's always important, especially as we've walked with the Lord for a long time, to remember that not everybody has heard or knows what we have heard and, and know through the years. This can be entirely new to many, many people. In the ancient uh, Greek world, the predominant Greek words for love were eros and uh, phileo. The Greek word agape existed in the ancient world, but it was rarely used in comparison to those two Greek words. And it was, of all of the Greek words that were used for love, it was probably the least specifically defined uh, in terms of the Greek words for love that were in use. It's interesting that the Holy Spirit uh, what he did through the writers of the New Testament, including the Apostle Paul, was to take this kind of obscure, uh, relatively undefined uh, Greek word for love and a neglected word for love and to make it the word that he uses to describe the love of God for mankind and the love that Christians are to have, uh, that all uh, Christians are to have for our fellow man. And what the Holy Spirit does with this word agape is he takes this word that existed but was kind of hidden off in a corner in large part, and he just simply overwhelms the, the world, uh, word with himself, and he appropriates it so uh, completely to himself, and, and then he defined it uh, as he does in the Bible, and he so defines it that essentially the Holy Spirit made it a Christian word and uh, the word that is used to define Christian love. The, in Galatians chapter 5, this love is described as the fruit of the Holy Spirit. You'll never work it up in your own flesh and in your own strength. Not one of us will, no matter how loving we are by nature. The love that is described by agape love is solely uh, something that uh, comes from the Holy Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. And this love has its origin in God, and, uh, and uh, the Holy Spirit brings this love into our lives when we're born again. This agape love is known as the anyway uh, love. In the English language, we have one word for love. Uh, guess what that is? Exactly right. It's the word love. And uh, so when I'm forced to express my love for my wife or for the 49ers or for Indian food, I am forced to use, with garlic naan, by the way, I am forced to use the same uh, word to describe my love for them. And uh, despite the fact that my love for my wife and my love for Indian food, though both intense, they're entirely different things. Now, in the Greek language, again, the language of the ancient world and the language of the New Testament, there are multiple words for joy, uh, for love rather. For instance, uh, one of the Greek words for love was the word eros, and uh, we get our word erotic in our English language from that very word, and it describes love on a physical plane. 
Eros love is an important love, but uh, it, it has some limitations that everyone needs to be aware of. It's a very, very self-centered love. It's a very, very conditional love, this love on the physical plane. In fact, this Eros love is uh, very often referred to as the if love. I love you if you look a certain way physically. But if your looks change, uh, Eros will begin to fade, and then it will disappear. Eros will not endure uh, weight gain or wrinkles or poor health, and thus it's a very, very shaky foundation upon which to build any kind of a lasting relationship. Because as we all know, uh, things change physically uh, over, over a lifetime. And then the, uh, there's the Greek word phileo, and it's the foundation word for, uh, for instance, the city of Philadelphia, where it is called the city of brotherly love. And phileo describes uh, a brotherly love. It describes a love that is emotional, that is intellectual, uh, and on, on those planes. And although phileo isn't as shallow as eros love, it isn't as conditional as Eros love. It is still very conditional and very self-centered. And thus it is oftentimes referred to as the because love. I love you because of what you are emotionally. I love you because of what you are uh, intellectually. But if you ever change intellectually and, uh, or emotionally, then this love will fade uh, as well. And then there's the, the Greek word agape, which Paul uses here. And agape is referred to as the anyway love. I love you no matter what you are or you aren't physically. I love you no matter what you are or you aren't intellectually or emotionally. And agape love, because it describes the love of God, agape love is an unconditional love. Shakespeare, I think, captured it perfectly when he wrote, and, and I'm, I, I probably had uh, this very thing in mind when he wrote, love is not love that alters when it alteration finds. This love, this agape love, is known as the, uh, it will love anyway. It's the word that, is, that God uses to describe His love for us. For God so loved the world, for God so agapeoed the world is the word that he used, that he gave. It is a giving love, and, uh, and, and, that's, and it is in any way uh, love that God has expressed toward us. Now, another mark of this love is that it always does what is best for the other person. Uh, agape love uh, sometimes will express itself in uh, not supremely in doing what is easiest for the other person in a personal relationship, but always what is best. It isn't always interested in, uh, you know, uh, loving another person or, or, or being engaged in another person's life, another Christian's life, and, and it isn't concerned supremely that their life be trouble-free or even pain-free. Agape love always does what is the very best thing for the other person. So this love that we're talking about is something that is very, very strong. It's very vibrant, a very uh, deep thing, a very sturdy thing. 
And the reason that I mention this is because of our tendency, certainly within the culture, but our tendency even as Christians to come to think of love in a very, very superficial way and in a very, very defective way, in the same way that the culture does all around us. And the idea that when God talks about love and He talks about agape love, that He's talking supremely about something, uh, or talking about something that is supremely uh, emotional or purely e emotional. And that if we really love someone, we will always say yes to every request that they ever uh, make of us that we will never make them responsible for their decisions or for their words or their actions. It never involves any exhortation. It never involves certainly uh, even any warning. And if I think that even as Christians, we can come to think that uh, the only expression of love is just kind of a big group hug. And uh, sometimes you'll do something out of love, in a, uh, a, and it's a difficult thing that's done in another person's uh, Christian's life or another person's life, and the first person that will squawk will be another Christian and look at it through a superficial lens and say, well, that wasn't a very loving thing to do. There's a lot of definitions of love or concepts of love, even God's love, that are floating around uh, out there. And certainly this love involves the group hug, but it isn't only that. I know of one Christian who regularly announces to everyone present, uh, I just love everyone unconditionally. And the thing that they're always trying to communicate to the rest of us is that, uh, and, and they say it with the intent that I communicate, I, I love in a way uh, everyone the way that God does uh, with this agape love. But the interesting thing about this person is that they'll listen to and put up with and affirm every bit of nonsense uh, that will occur in uh, another person's life without ever saying any, the hard thing that needs to be said or doing the hard thing that needs to be uh, done. In other words, they fail uh, to do what is best for uh, the other person. And then revealing whenever this is the case, and we all have tendencies towards this, this, this so-called unconditional love that we think that we're operating under is merely a self-love. It's a desire to uh, get everyone uh, to love me. And I mentioned this person, and this is an example, because it represents what I think is a widely held idea among not all Christians, but many Christians, that we only represent God's love when we make life as easy and as comfortable for another person uh, as much as we have the power uh, to do so. But sometimes the expression of this agape love can appear uh, not to be love at all uh, at a particular moment in time, but it is, and time will reveal it to be so. What parent, I think, raising a child expresses their love solely in giving them everything they want? That is not a parent who loves their child, uh, not at all. Now, we, because we love them, uh, we feed them healthy food. Uh, we even put lima beans before them and Brussels sprouts, uh, things that, uh, uh, that, uh, are, uh, uh, that even I struggle with now as an older person uh, with. 
We make sure that they get enough sleep uh, each night. We make sure that they brush their teeth so they're not rotten by the time uh, they're 20 years old. We make sure that they do their homework so they can be prepared for adult life. We train them. We e even discipline them. And, and in all of that, of course, there's a lot of encouragement and there's a lot of affirmation that goes on as an expression of, of love as well. And I think what parent doesn't understand that these more demanding expressions of love though I think very often potentially misunderstood by the child to be anything but love, is actually the ultimate expression of our love as parents. It would be the far easier thing to neglect to uh, demand the hard thing of the child, to train them in the harder things uh, in life. But it would be to love myself more than to, to love uh, the child. Now, doing these harder things is the ultimate expression of our love as parents, though it, it may take many years for a child uh, to recognize that. And it's not just true of the parent. It's true of, uh, any, uh, of a coach in life. It's true of a mentor in life. It's true of uh, any teacher uh, in life who out of love for us pushes us way, way beyond the limits that we put upon ourselves, and they're determined to push us into the full potential that they recognize that we, uh, that we have within, within our lives. And if they love themselves supremely, they would never bother to push us in that way. But love makes them do what is, is best for us. And I think that anywhere you see excellence in life, almost always there's an investment of tough love uh, behind it somewhere. It's interesting when we look at Jesus as an example of this, and He's the example of everything that we're trying to teach uh, biblically, or trying to understand. But we think about Jesus. He loved the disciples, and yet He continually corrected them and continually rebuked them over their desire to be the greatest in the kingdom and their arguments that they had uh, with one another, their lack of faith so often, and uh, even declaring to Peter at one point, get thee behind me, Satan, your offense to me, for you're not uh, con concerned about or mindful of the things of God, but of the things of men. Ouch! That'd be a hard thing to hear. I'd, I, I don't know that I've been rebuked on quite that level, but I'm not an apostle. But I, 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 the Lord's come close in my life uh, in, in many times. He allowed the disciples to go through tremendous hardship, great difficulties and trials, in order to develop their character and prepare their godly character for the day that He would return to heaven and uh, they would continue His work in the power uh, of the Holy uh, Spirit. Concerning difficult expressions of love, it's hard to top what the Bible declares of God in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6, for whom the Lord loves, He chastens. And He chastens us in our life as an expression of His love. Again, again it's good to re be reminded that this, this love of God is a deep thing. It's a substantial thing. It always does what is best for, uh, for us, and he, and, he, and he doesn't deal with love in, in, in the superficial way that the culture does. And so it is among Christians and uh, concerning Paul's exhortation here. Sometimes agape love 
is expressed in an encouragement, but sometimes it's expressed in an exhortation or even in a rebuke when it's needed. Sometimes it's agape love is expressed with an arm around the shoulder, and then sometimes it's expressed with a, a good swift uh, kick in the backside uh, when, when I need it from somebody. Now, why in the world would Paul exhort us to love one another except that it isn't always easy, doesn't come natural uh, to us? Uh, you've probably, uh, many of you have heard the famous little ditty. I think it captures uh, all of this perfectly. To dwell above with saints we love, oh, that will be glory. But to dwell below with saints we know, well, that's another story. And there's a lot of truth to that, isn't it? Uh, uh, struck a chord, a bigger chord than I, than I thought it would in the congregation. Uh, those that are watching online, uh, there is deep conviction in this room uh, related to that, a deep recognition of the truth of all of that. I think perhaps you've noticed that not every Christian uh, is a delight to be around. And uh, one of the things about the Christian life is that loving God is a snap. But that's, that's no great test on us. I mean, he's perfect. It's pretty easy to love uh, perfection. You can't find a fault in him. In the Christian life, loving God is, is absolutely a snap. The harder part is his cause, as Paul does here, for us to uh, love uh, one another. And yet we can't be like God if we don't. I have to confess that there has been a time or two in my Christian life when I've been tempted to take all that I own and go to Arizona and buy some kind of a compound out in the desert and uh, just put a razor wire fence up all the way around it and never see another human being uh, for the rest of uh, uh, my life. And not just concerning pagans, uh, but many Christians uh, as well. Uh, maybe you're something like me in this regard. All of the people that I respect most in life, all of them are Christian. And all of the people that I disrespect most in life are also all Christians. It's a mixed bag in the body of Christ. It's a challenge to love uh, one another, and, and yet we're called uh, to do that. I think about some of the obstacles that we face to naturally loving one another as Christians. There's the differences of personality, broad diversity, even when among the disciples, just 12. Uh, the broad diversity of, of just uh, the personality that was uh, represented there. There are the differences of our backgrounds, again, even among the apostles. Some were blue-collar and uh, fishermen, and then others were white-collar, uh, Levi, Matthew, the tax uh, collector. There, were, there are the differences of interests, and not everything that interests you interests me, and, and vice uh, versa. And yet, we're continually wanting to talk about what is of interest to us. There are the differences of giftings and callings in our lives. And this, all of these things shape our, our perspectives. There's the challenge of familiarity. Uh, as Christians, because God has called us not to forsake the assembling together of the saints, we happen to be around each other. Uh, a lot as a result of that. So we end up getting to know each other uh, pretty well. 
and, uh, and sooner or later, all of our spots and wrinkles and warts are going to be uh, exposed in any kind of uh, open or transparent long-term relationship. And that happens in every relationship that we have with every Christian, and it goes uh, both ways. Have you ever noticed that sometimes it's easier to love a perfect stranger than a Christian you've known for uh, five or ten years? The reason isn't because the stranger is uh, any better if you were to get to know them. It's just that we don't know them. Uh, we'd be as mortified or challenged by uh, what their makeup as we are of, of, of any, anyone else if we were to come to, to know them on the same level as we come to know one another as Christians as we, we fellowship together, especially in a local church. And then in terms of the challenges in all of this, there is just the plain old uh, conflict and, and carnality. The conflict that occurs because of uh, sin in our lives and our growth and sanctification, our carnality, we're not yet what we're going to be one day in heaven. It will be a snap to love one another there. We'll be as perfect as Jesus is. We won't be divine, but we'll be perfect. It'll be easy. There'll be no test of our love uh, in, in that environment. But there is now, because all of us are in these different stages of growing uh, in spiritual maturity and, and becoming uh, uh, like Christ. And so all of these things are challenges to loving one another. I, uh, we would declare this command to love one another in this, uh, this way that Paul commands us to uh, if we were to look at that in our own strength and in our own ability. We would just consider that commandment to be completely hopeless. And it would be hopeless, except for the fact that uh, a love for one another is something that God will supply to us, and He will supply a love to, uh, uh, to us for one another that is greater than every obstacle we will ever face in any personal relationship we have with one another uh, as Christians. The power to love comes from the Holy Spirit. We will never work it up. It comes from the Holy Spirit. And it, it, this love is the fruit of the Holy Spirit within our lives. And every time we will stop in the difficulty of, of the, uh, our relationships with one another, and we will stop and we will pray to God and ask God to uh, give us from His Holy Spirit this kind of love for Christians, He will supply it to us. And I can only bear testimony, and I think I could for most of us as Christians in this room when I say, I am so thankful how over the 38 years of my Christian life, how the Lord has consistently helped me to grow in my love for Christians, in, in my love uh, for people in general. Uh, it is one of the advantages of growing older in the Lord. Uh, none of them are physical. All of them are spiritual. The uh, outward man is perishing, but the inward man is being renewed day by day. But to look and, and, uh, and as we age and as we grow in the, in the Lord, to see how uh, conditional uh, my love once was and how much more broad it is uh, even now. And all of this in my life, in your life, it, it, this is uh, the Holy Spirit's work within our lives, and, and, and He is uh, 
faithful to produce it within our lives to the degree that we desire it within our lives. And it comes with being filled and refilled and fresh surrenders to the Holy Spirit all of the time. I think about Jesus in uh, Luke chapter 11. He said, if you being evil, talking about uh, parents, even Christian parents in comparison to God, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, and we do, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? And in these situations, or in just the desire to grow in love, uh, period, that is a prayer as we would ask, Lord, freshly fill me with your Spirit and give me a greater love uh, for people. Uh, and that is a prayer that he will be faithful to answer. The Holy Spirit uh, supplies the power to love in this way, but it is Jesus who provides a, 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 the motivation uh, to do so. I mean, if I didn't have a high motivation uh, to be this kind of a person, to, <clears throat> to uh, a satisfactory motivation to be a loving person, if it was never a concern to me as a Christian, then I would never ask for the power because uh, why would I want the power for something I have no concern for? And so the power is important, but it's second to the motivation. And Jesus supplies us with the very highest motivation uh, for having this love in our lives and the desire uh, to love one another in the way that Paul calls us uh, to do so. And I think that understanding uh, this, uh, this greatest of motivations to love one another, I think one of the places that it comes from is with the reminder of how much Jesus loves the church. And He loves the body of Christ as a whole. And how much He loves every single individual uh, Christian. And He loves us for all of our spots, all of our wrinkles, all of our uh, flaws and imperfections. And the Holy Spirit puts it this way in the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. And he speaks of it in the context of husbands. He says, husbands, love your wives. But what is revealed after that uh, exhortation is, uh, it, uh, uh, applies to all of us. He says, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing uh, of water by the word, and that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and without uh, blemish. To love difficult Christians isn't easy, but Jesus loves them. Jesus loves us. And though it will require great uh, self-denial at times, it is always worth it uh, because it is the only way that we can be like Him. Now, one of the things that's interesting to me is I want to be a living sacrifice, but I don't want it to involve any sacrifice. I want it to be a verse in the Bible that I commit to memory and think is a fabulous thing that we ought to, all ought to know and to give great consideration to until the time that God calls me, as He does through all of these 19 exhortations, to actually uh, require uh, being a living sacrifice in order to, to accomplish within our lives.
So it's the only way to become like Christ. And becoming like Christ makes everything worth it. I think it's helpful in loving other people that as much as we can struggle with other people to realize that there is a comparable number of people who are struggling in the same way concerning us. Uh, that's a, a, a good uh, humility on that, and I don't doubt that concerning myself, and I certainly don't doubt that concerning you. <laughs> and then to stop and think about what God must endure in terms of the expression of agape love, anyway love, in his relationship with any of us. What he works through, what he overlooks, what, he stay, what is in our lives that makes us marvel that he stays committed to us in this love relationship, and, and yet he, he does. And it's very convicting for me to remember how many times on a, on a, level, a, a personal relationship level with, with people, so many times in the past where I thought that my lack of love for a person had entirely to do with a, a failure on their part of, of some kind or some kind of lack of lovableness uh, about them to only then grow uh, a little bit further in my relationship with the Lord. And then, uh, as a result of that, into Christ-likeness. And, and, and then to discover the great fault within the relationship had nothing to do with the other person, but with how limited, how extremely limited I, I was in terms of the love that, uh, that I had for other people. And, how many, and it makes me look at life today for where I am right now as a Christian. And because this has been a part of my history, and I look at it, and I look at situations, and I say, I'm so sorry I, I uh, didn't handle that better. I'm so sorry I didn't have a better word to speak uh, into that situation and into that person's life at that time. And then, and then, but always looking back at, at, at what I was from the light of what I am now in terms of where Christ has brought me. And then the determination to realize that I don't want to be in relationships that are presently in my life, limited in the love that I'm expressing there so that six months from now or six years from now, I look back with regret on how stingy or how uh, immature I was spiritually concerning, uh, concerning uh, uh, love coming out of, uh, out of my life and, 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 and how limited the love was because of a lack of, of the conformity of my heart uh, to the heart of Christ. And I, I don't think I'm alone in that. It's part of the growing process. There's no getting around it. But the desire to limit that and, and to have this have the full expression within our lives that, that Paul desires that, that would be there, not just for the good of the other person, but for our own good uh, is, uh, as well. I just know that if we desire this kind of love in our lives, God will get us there. 
And it's one of the greatest experiences in the Christian life to genuinely love God's people and love people the way that, that He does. And it is something we're always going to need to grow in, but the good news is that He'll be faithful to do that uh, if, if we desire it. Now, finally, notice that Paul closes here that we're not only to love one another, but we're to love one another without hypocrisy. And, and the, the Greek word that you, Paul uses for hypocrisy is the word that was used in the ancient world uh, for an actor or for an actress. An actor or an actress in the ancient world, they were called hypocrites. We get our word hypocrite from them. And, and what it means is to be, uh, to be an actor. And so a hypocrite in the ancient world, and Paul is writing in the context of the ancient world, was simply an actor, was someone who wore masks. Now today, you go to the movies, and they, they blow up buildings and entire city blocks, and, and people emote all kinds of emotions in terms of being an actor or an actress. But in the ancient world, they basically used two masks. They'd put this mask on when they were this person, and they'd put this mask on when they were that person. Uh, and, and, and you got two actors or actresses for the price of one. Uh, uh, but it was one who wore a mask. That's what a hypocrite uh, was. One who pretended to be someone else that they, that they really weren't. And someone who played the part of, of, of of another by the use of a mask. And so when you go like into uh, theatrical shops or if you're ever in Venice, it's all over the place in the shops, but you've got the two masks, the smiling face and the frowning face. You can buy them, you see them. It all comes from this, this ancient uh, imagery. And to be a hypocrite, uh, it was to be two-faced in, in the best sense of, 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 the, of, of it in terms of an actor, but, it, but it's a very negative thing here. Uh, for a love for one another, for the, it just to be an act within the body of Christ or an act in my life. And this is what Paul is, is warning against. And in making this warning against hypocritical love, loving people only as an act, I think that Paul knew, he could, he could just have said, listen, love one another, but he adds without hypocrisy, because I think that Paul uh, knew that for many of us, uh, that, it, it, that it, it, here is this, uh, this, this call to, to love as he makes it here, that hypocrisy would be, uh, that would constitute the very first uh, attempt that we would make in, in trying to keep this commandment. And, and, and so that essentially, all right, God is calling us here uh, to love one another, uh, and uh, in this call to love one another, we would think that what God is calling us to merely is to just be nice or polite to our fellow Christians uh, publicly, outwardly, but inwardly and privately, not to love them at all. Uh, or, or even and worse. And then to convince ourselves that if we're able to be, at least be polite and socially uh, appropriate in our conduct with one another as we're face to face, that somehow that is what uh, Christian love is. It, it's being two-faced. It's pretending to love someone outwardly, but not loving them at all in, in our hearts. 
And I think without this rebuke and exhortation uh, not to do it with hypocrisy, I think by and large we would settle into what is essentially a world's definition of how to love one another. Love them to their face. You remember the song by the OJs? They're smiling in your face. All the time they want to take your place, backstabber. Listen, different songs come to my mind while I'm talking up here. So, but, but we would actually convince ourselves without this exhortation that to simply do that is all that God is asking for here. And Paul would know that that would be the tendency of some of us. And, and so he, he warns us against us. He slams the door on it. And then he forces us essentially back to God, back to uh, God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit and then and asking them, Lord, would you produce true agape love in my life in general and this specific relationship or these relationships? I'm trying to do it in my own love. Paul tells me, the Bible tells me that you'll supply a love for in me for that person that is greater than all of the history of this relationship. God, I could hardly believe it to be true in the light of the history and the baggage of this relationship, but you've said you would provide it. You've said that there is a love that is greater than that, and I don't know how you would do it, but I am open to that love, and I want that love to be expressed in this relationship. And when we come to God in that way, God will be faithful to answer that prayer and that desire within our heart and to increase that love and produce that love uh, within us. And, and, uh, and, and He will, of course, be happy uh, to do that. I think in terms of love, I mean, the Bible, the, the whole Bible is about love. I mean, love, love, love. Who could ever even begin to scratch the surface on any aspect of love in a, a, a single uh, sermon? But I think it does basically come down to, in our, our Christian lives, concerning love, is to understand that this is what Christ was like, and then to want it for myself because of that, and then to sincerely and deeply ask God to provide this and produce this within our life, and then to know that He will do that, and He will uh, do that. These exhortations are very, very, and this is the first of many, very, very straightforward, very, very clear. It reminds me of the old joke where somebody said, it isn't the passages in the Bible uh, that I don't understand that trouble me most. It's the passages that I do understand. And uh, this is one of those passages. But to leave here today, and maybe God has spoken something into your heart uh, from this vantage point, not about the flaws and the failures of other people, but the problem might be a lack of our own spiritual maturity in this area and a lack of a flow and growth in the Holy Spirit. And to take some time this afternoon or to come forward and pray with somebody up in front afterwards and to say, and, and I love that song that was popular way back decades ago from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If I have not charity, if love does not flow from me, I am nothing. Jesus, reduce me to love.
And it is that line that I think is so powerful. Jesus, reduce me to love. And it's a prayer that he'll answer. And so take some uh, responsive time today uh, to respond in any way that he might have uh, spoken to any of us related to the passage here, uh, here, uh, here this morning. If you sit here this morning and you're not saved yet, God loves you. And, uh, and He loves you with an unconditional love. Do not, do not, do not try and clean yourself up before you become a Christian. You can't do that. Uh, you need to become a Christian, and God will clean you up. Don't, you'll never make yourself acceptable uh, to Him uh, in, in terms of, of a relationship. That comes by putting your faith in His Son, His Savior, for the forgiveness of your sins. And if you'd like to become a Christian this morning, there are going to be pastors and other men and women up in front immediately after the service, and they'd love to pray with you to begin that relationship with God. Let's stand together now, and we'll pray and uh, be dismissed. Yeah. Father, we thank You for how far You have brought us in our Christian lives um, in this thing called love. And how it has become the ability to love people and something that may, certainly doesn't approach the way that You love. But we're getting there, Lord. And we thank You for that work of Your Spirit in our lives in moving us forward in this way. We stand before You, and Your Word says that everyone is naked and open before You with whom we have to do. You see what we are. You see what we aren't, Lord. And we pray with sincerity this morning, desiring to love in this kind of way, and that You would provide the power to do that, that You would provide a fresh revelation uh, of Christ and the motivation to live this kind of life, Lord, and take us by the hand and walk us out into this in a world that so desperately uh, needs love and that this place is a church and that the body of Christ as a whole might be a place where people can experience it and be healed uh, under uh, the flow of it, Lord. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.